Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. And I am so thrilled to be here with you guys today. And I know Mother's Day, like Jen said, can be a very just tender day. Some of us, I remember, um, for me personally, I remember one Mother's Day, we were living up in Seattle, and my husband was a worship leader at a fairly large church where we had a lot of services. And I could barely slip into the back of the service and slip um, out because I was so full of tears that day because we had not been able to get pregnant for many years at that point. And I just didn't want to show up to church. I just thought, I can't do it. I, can't, I cannot bear another Sunday in service pretending like I am okay not having children. I remember another Mother's Day where, fast forward five years-ish, where I had two kids. My daughter here, Mercy, is here. And uh, my son will be coming to the second service. And uh, so then I had two little ones, and life was so busy and so full. And I remember Mark and the kids wanting to plan some fun Mother's Day with me. And all I wanted to do was sneak away and be alone all day. So whether you're here on Mother's Day, you know, it can just mean so many things to all of us. But I am so thrilled to be able to come and uh, be a part of what Benji and Jen have been doing here at Light Church and Encinitas. You guys are all amazing. Like I said, worship was amazing. So we're going to get right into the Word of God because I have my Bible up here because I could not love this Bible and God's promises more. I could not be where I am today, standing on my two feet, if it were not for the time that I have spent digging into what does God's Word say about things So today, if you're taking notes, the title of my message is Growing Kingdom Relationships, because God loves watching us grow. So if you've spent any time with Jesus, if you're new on this walk with Jesus, or if you are very seasoned in it, you know that God loves watching us grow, and everything in the Word of God is going to be pointed and directed towards growth. And in the leadership and business world, there's this principle that healthy things grow and unhealthy things die. Now, that might be true for business and for leadership, but that is so not true in so many other areas of our life. In fact, I know a lot of unhealthy things that grow. I don't know about you, but I've seen debt grow in my life. I've seen bitterness grow. I've been a part of gossip, and I've seen it grow. I've seen infections grow, and I've seen COVID grow. Whoa. I've seen kidney disease grow. I've seen kidney failure grow. I've seen kidney rejection grow. You guys are probably like, why is this chick so focused on kidneys? I'll get to that later. You see, there are a lot of unhealthy things that grow. But when we're people that are seeking God and wanting to know what does God say about kingdom relationships and how can we be growing our kingdom relationships, you see, God wants us to have relationships that get healthy, that get stronger, and relationships that are fruitful. You see, fruitfulness is so essential when you walk intimately with God. When you live a life obedient and surrendered and digging into God's word, 
fruitfulness is essential and fruitfulness happens. And so let's dig into, because it's Mother's Day, we are going to kind of dive into the parent classroom. Now, before you tune me out because you're like, I'm not a parent, before you cancel culture me because you're like, I don't plan on being a parent, I know this is like the, what our culture does. My kids are, my daughter's in junior high, my son is in fourth grade, and they do this thing right now all the time where they say, you're done. <laughs> is that a meme? What is that? Is that a, like, a quote from a movie? But it's just like, you're done, you're done, you're done. And it's like so snotty, it's funny, I can laugh about it. And I wish life was that easy, right? I wish I could just like do that to people in my life. Like things that we're over with, just like, ah, you're done. <laughs> no, you're done, you know, like, but that's not the way it is because relationships are not that easy, right? To just cancel culture. So don't cancel me out today because actually we're going to dive into this parent classroom and maybe you're going to learn something new about the word of God, what the Bible says about a parent-child relationship. And the reason why I feel like it's applicable to all of us today is because there are things that are rooted in these promises and its direction from God in his Bible that will apply to you in any area of your life. So have my full permission to take what I'm saying, tuck it away for later in the future, or to just apply it to how you can be a better son, a better daughter, a better roommate, a better employee, a better boss, manager, whatever it is in your relationships, because we all have relationships, right? And relationships are hard, right? Or maybe it's just me. Maybe my life is just complicated. Or maybe my family, we, my family is full of a bunch of pastors. And why is there still drama as adults? Like, how does this happen? Like, we all, my mom was texting us today. She's like, three kids. I'm so proud of you. You're all preaching. You know what? But like, there's no perfect family. Relationships are hard. But when we go to the word of God, we are able to see how can we sow seeds and grow healthy relationships. And um, I was kind of thinking, I'm really into podcasts. I'm kind of a dork. I'd rather watch, listen to a podcast, go for a walk or run, listen to podcasts than I would watch a movie. I don't know. I like to... <laughs> just learn. And so I've been listening to a lot of Dave Ramsey lately, probably because it's like gas is, you know, $100 a tank and, you know, groceries are so expensive. I'm like crying. I got mad one night. I felt like I was having a father of the bride moment one night. My kids were at soccer. I ran to grab just a couple groceries, just enough. I only had the mental capacity to get what I needed for the next night of dinner, which was tacos. So I'm in the store and I'm talking to a friend, I'm multitasking, and I just wanted to throw a fit over how expensive a bag of tortilla chips was. I just was like, and then I get home and my daughter opens them up and she starts eating them and she just comes home from soccer practice, so she's eating them really fast and really aggressive and, and you know, really like consuming that. And I'm like, you can't eat those. And she's like, okay, like taking her bag out of the hand out of the bag and I'm like, She's like, why? I'm like, I just paid $6 for that bag of groceries <laughs> or that bag of tortilla chips, and they're going to be gone, and I want them for tomorrow night. And So Dave Ramsey, okay, this is just my little... I mean, he's hilarious, right? He calls himself a hit, which I think is just... He's, he's you know, my kids actually find him entertaining to listen to, too, because they're going to have a lot of wounds when they grow up about how mom made them listen to podcasts, but, you know, they can... Sorry, you just will. 
And so um, here's what I thought was so cool. So the Ramsey Solutions, they are all about teaching people how to budget, save, avoid debt, and retire with dignity. What an amazing mission. He has like 3,000 employees now. Like they are all about budgeting, saving, avoiding debt, and retiring with dignity. And yet for my generation, I was raised where nobody taught us about finances in high school or in college. I mean, unless you took a financial course, but I was in Bible college. And so no one taught us about our finances and that being a pastor, you'd have to budget and, but you know, and so I love that over the last 10 years, foundations in personal finance has been taught in more than 45% of high schools across the country and has impacted life, the lives of more than 5 million students. How cool is that? I'm like, I, I just think it's so important for us to have a desire to grow in our knowledge and understanding because the Bible talks a lot about finances. Well, guess what? The Bible talks a lot about healthy relationships and the things that we can do, the tools that we can have to have a healthy relationship. And so don't cancel me out today, but know that this will apply to so many areas of your life, whether you are a parent or a child, but we are going to be more in the parent classroom. So it's like these Dave Ramsey students in high school, like they don't have a penny. What are they budgeting? Mom and dad's money? But there is something so empowering about being able to learn what does the Bible say about the parent-child relationship because God loves watching us grow. So if you have your Bible with you today, if not, I believe on the screen. Don't you love the screens and technology? We are going to open up Ephesians 6. And this is where a lot of our text is going to come from today. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy life on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, Bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So what just happened here? There's two commandments here. One commandment is to the child, and one commandment is to the parent. So the commandment to the child is to, help me out, obey. Don't you go quiet on me. That was so good. That was like, I've never heard a female Sing, lead that song. That was amazing. I think the females need to keep leading that song. So the commandment for the, for the kids, for the children, is to obey. And the commandment on the parents is do not exasperate. It sounds so easy, right? So then why is it so hard? Why is parenting so hard? Everybody thinks that they're ready for marriage until what? Until you get married. Everybody thinks that you're ready for parenting until what? Until you have kids. You know, when you're not a parent, it's so easy to be the, um, like, oh, I will never do that. <laughs> right? Yeah, I know you've been there. I was just at a soccer game. Obviously, my kids play soccer. A lot of my talk, I'll try not to talk about soccer too much, but I'm on some type of field every day of the week right now. And I was just at a soccer field the other day enjoying this beautiful San Diego sun and my kids playing and there was a child that would not stop screaming on the playground. And I just looked over at my soccer friends and I said, isn't it so glad, so nice to be out of that season? 
when you hear those toddlers just crying and crying and crying. It's so easy to feel like you're going to just be such a great parent and you're so ready for it until you become a parent. When we had mercy, like I said, we had many years of wondering, would we actually ever be able to be uh, parents and have children? And we were so excited when I was pregnant with Mercy. And my parents were coming down for the weekend that she was born. And they were going to be there and welcome her as we come home from the hospital and help us out with this new parenting. And uh, Mark had been telling me the whole pregnancy, I cannot wait to get up in the middle of night, in the middle of the night with you and Mercy. I can't wait. I have lived for this. I was made for this. I love babies. I'm going to smell her. I'm going to just hold her so close and stare at her and sing to her. And I will, I will be up in the middle of the night, babe. I will not be one of those dads. I got this. You're not alone. It's you and I. And my mom said to him um, that night, we were first home from the hospital. Okay, Mark, so are you ready for this? He's like, mom, mom Veach. She's kind of strong. She's kind of a lot in an amazing way, but she's a hot mama Hispanic Latina woman, and so, you know, she was trying to force her way in, and he's like, Mom, I got this. I was made for this. I'm going to smell her and hold her and, and sing to her, and I will get up with her. So the first, night, first you know, time she cries, I'm like, Mark? <laughs> Mark, where are you? You know, waking him up, waking him up. He's like, okay, you know. Second time, same thing. Mark, are you there? You know, third time, he just, it happens so fast. He grabs all of our bed spread, wraps it around him, and he just walks away going, I can't do this, I can't do this. Walks down the hallway with our comforter, banging on my parents' door on the guest door saying, Mom, it's your turn, it's your turn. I can't do this. And uh, because we all think we're ready until we do it. And it's so much harder. I wish the commandment to me as a parent to not exasperate my children. I wish it was just easy, like, oh, okay, cool. Thanks, God. Thanks for the instruction. I get, I get the commandment. I won't do it. I won't exasperate them. But it's so hard. And growing up is hard. I told you I come from a very strong-willed family, a lot of leaders. Like in the Enneagram world, there's just not a lot of diversity in our numbers. There's like one member, one boss, and everyone's the boss. So growing up is hard. I mean, I still can't live down the story when I was a junior high, maybe a little bit more emotional, maybe a little bit more dramatic as a junior higher, when I just slammed down my hands at the dinner table and I ran down the hallway to my room and I said, I'm sick of the suffering. And instead of my family going, oh, you know, Bethany's really suffering. We should go see what's going on. They all just went into a fit of laughter over my dramatic statement of my, like, what was I suffering in junior high? You know, I, but, but you feel it, right? Because growing up is so hard. So today we're going to shift our focus to God's word. And we're going to go from being reactional in our relationships to intentional. And another thing we're going to do in shifting our focus is we're going to go from being led by fear, because I think that's what culture wants to do. I think that's even actually something that spreads amongst the Christian culture of parenting. So we're going to shift our focus from fear, and we're going to shift our focus and land on faith. And uh, I felt really strongly when I first became a mom to just dive into this idea of how can I be a parent that parents from a position of faith and not fear. 
Now, a few years later, I kind of understood why God put that desire in my heart. A few more years later, I really understood it a little bit more. A few more years later, another diagnosis, I was like, okay, God, you were preparing me for this. And then another diagnosis, I was like, okay, God. And then a transplant, and then a kidney rejection. And you're kind of starting to understand my story a little bit, where I really started to understand, why have I been so focused on being an intentional parent? Why have I been so focused on being somebody, a mother, who is led by faith and not led by fear? Why was that a desire of mine when I was first pregnant and I was first raising my children? And I will tell you, it has been something that has been able to set me on a path to be able to enjoy my children and enjoy my life, even in some of the most excruciating suffering. Talk about suffering. (laughs) Some of the most suffering times. I didn't know what I was saying when I was in junior high. All right, and we're going to have a plan. We're going to shift our focus, and instead of just not having a plan, we're going to have a plan. And our plan is being focused on the Word of God. So we'll open up the Word of God again to Proverbs 22. We're in Proverbs 22.6. This is the New King James Version, because I don't spend a lot of time in the New King James Version now, but a lot of these versions of this scripture just are like, they nail it to me. They like just hit the, the bullseye. I love the wording of it. So New King James Version says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And I love this idea of train up. You see, trainers have a plan. So parents, we can have a plan. Shifting our focus from being reactional or not knowing what's going on, thinking we were ready for this, but getting beat down by the crying baby, getting beat down by the chaos, getting beat down by the mess, getting beat down by the diagnoses, getting beat down by whatever, we're going to have a plan. Trainers have a plan. And our plan is in the word of God. So number one, the plan number one is for children to obey. You see, when I started reading about this, like what does this actually mean? What you realize in the word of God, this first plan, is that the blessing is attached to the child. The obedience is not when you're teaching your children how to obey. The obedience is not because the blessing is attached to me. When you're teaching your children how to obey, you're telling them the blessing is attached to you. Because that's the plan. That's what the word of God says. The blessing, when you obey, the blessing is attached to you. You see, when your children are defiant or when your children are, are, you know, you're needing to rescue them, it's not personal. Their defiance is not personal. Your children, you don't want them to obey you so that you look good. You don't have kids, by the way, if you think you're having kids so that you can look like the blogger and the Instagrammer where they're all perfectly placed together, just let's have a different plan than that plan. Because <laughs> if you want a, a child because you can dress them cute and they can make you look cute, it's just the wrong plan. It's just going to probably... <laughs> really frustrate you. Because you don't have children. Yes, the Bible does say that children are a, are a blessing. They're an they're inheritance. They're a blessing from God. Yes, the Bible talks about that. But right now when we're talking about obedience, our plan one is a child obey. The blessing is attached to the child. Why is it so important that we teach obedience to our children? Because we are teaching kids all about authority. Biblical authority. You see, the Greek word for this 
is to act under authority. That's where I need, not the mic. Here's my child's heart. Sorry, opposite. I can't do the mic. Here's my child's heart. That's authority, to come under, to act under the authority of and to listen attentively. You see, parents, you don't have to give away your authority. And you know what? You don't have to fight for your authority. When I was, when my, I mean, my kids, I still have to discipline and correct and all of that. But because we've been doing this for so many years in our home, when they were little and they were really wanting to question this idea of coming under my authority, I would just say, like, I don't have to fight for it. I tell my kids I could stay calm in the most chaotic situations, tantrums, defiance, ignorance, whatever it was. You just, parents, you can stay calm. You don't have to give away your authority. I would tell my kids, I'm the boss. I'm in charge. Because God said it that way. I, I'm in charge. And it's not to provoke them. It's just to say, like, you can stay calm. Same thing in your relationships. You know that you don't have to give. It's not about authority in other relationships. But you understand this idea of you can stay self-controlled. Parents, you do not have to give away your authority. And you do not have to fight for your authority. In our home, we would teach our children three ways to obey. Because it's one thing to say obey. But it's another thing to be able to get your kids to understand how to obey. Because obedience is not just an action. It's all about an inward heart. And sometimes we just all need a little bit of breaking down of like, what does this actually mean? And so we would teach our children that you obey right away, all the way, and this is my favorite one, with a happy heart. Do right as a child. Because that's actually really hard to do even as a Christ follower. Because when God tells me to do something, I'm not always responding with the right away when God wants me to take a small step of faith or a big step of faith. Sometimes I'm like, can I do that one later, God? Can I apologize later? Can I be generous later? Can I go serve someone with my time later? You know, obeying right away, all the way with a happy heart You see, the goal here, the most important part of this is that we are not teaching our children how to obey. We are not pointing them down the path of obedience to us. We're pointing them to a relationship with Jesus, that when they start practicing obedience to parents, understanding that they're coming under the authority of parents, the same will transfer over when they give their life to God and they begin to have an intimate relationship with Jesus and they'll begin to trust, oh, just like I could trust mom and dad, I can come under that authority. I can now trust what the word of God is saying. I can trust what the Holy Spirit is saying to me and I can come under authority and I can obey right away all the way and with a happy heart. You see, we're not just these tyrant parents saying, I'm the the boss and obey me because I want you to make me look really good on Instagram. Because I want you to not bring me to stress or to anger. No, it's saying, I want you to trust my authority because what I really want is for that trust to transfer over that you would trust the authority of God. You would trust the authority of kingdom relationships and a relationship with Jesus. So plan two, parents do not exasperate. 
I was raised in the 80s, and my parents were kind of the fanatical Pentecostal pastors. And uh, I mean, kind of healthy. Don't, I'm not too fanatical. Don't get too worried for me. And um, I think it was pretty common in the culture then that, that everyone then read Ephesians 6, 1, children obey, and then they just blacked out the parents do not exasperate. I don't know if that's true. Maybe if you raised your children in that generation, maybe you have a different story. And I have a great relationship with my parents, and they were both first-generation Christians. Neither of them raised in Christian homes. They gave their life to Jesus. They became pastors. And like I said, there's three of us kids out uh, preaching today because they have changed the trajectory of our home. So my parents figured it out, and they probably course-corrected, but I don't think this was really emphasized a lot. I think it was, the emphasis was on plan one, children obey, end of story. And there's a different way of parenting, I want to tell you. And there's a way of parenting that I have actually so been challenged by and I have so enjoyed, that parents do not exasperate. What does it mean to exasperate? It means to provoke someone to anger. It means to stir up anger. I want to give you a quick list of common ways that we exasperate our children. And I want to tell you that I took a parenting class, and there were about 25 things on this list that a woman shared with me. Not me, a room of like 200 women. And I cried through the list. Because like I said, I had um, always wanted to be a mom. I had just, I got into Bible college and got married. And like, you just expect it. Like, you expect to have kids. Like, I did not think that it would be difficult to become pregnant and have children. So here I am seven years later into, you know, just reaching my 30s, having children. I finally have children. They're fat and adorable and bald and blonde and blue-eyed, and everyone thought I was the nanny. And, and, I, and I, you know, we, we moved from Seattle down to L.A. now. We're in, like, North L.A. I never felt more out of place in my whole life. Everybody was like so bohemian and very Encinitas. And I came from Seattle where, you know, I worked in a salon. I wore black all day. And um, I come down to L.A. And uh, I'm a stay-at-home mom for the first time. And four months into moving away from my career, my church, my family down the street, my friends, four months into us living in L.A., my husband and I received news that he was in kidney uh, failure. Sorry, I'm used to saying kidney rejection because that's the second part of our story. So he goes into kidney rejection because of type 1 diabetes, and he's in kidney rejection. And the doctors say, you have about nine months to live at the rate that your kidneys are failing if you don't get a kidney transplant. So my world falls apart, but that was just like the second way my world was falling apart in LA, my world was gloriously sunny, but it was painfully lonely because I'm a stay-at-home mom with these children that I was making a mess of our home. I thought I was prepared to have children until I had them. And my sweet little daughter turned into a really kind of crazy toddler. And I wasn't enjoying motherhood. And I then had this baby that didn't sleep and cried all the time. And then I have this new church community, and I don't have a career where I can go off to during the day, and I don't have, and now my husband is given nine months to live. It's pretty hard sometimes, right, when life throws curveballs. It happens to all of us, right? I think that's why parenting can be so hard or growing up can be so hard because these curveballs happen in life, right? 
So this quick list, so I cried through this list. Here's, I'm just gonna give you a few of them, not all 25 of them. Making them feel like an intrusion to my personal freedom. Showing favoritism. Parents do not exasperate. Letting them, I'm sorry, not letting them be kids. Provoking to anger and stirring up anger. Man, when we don't let our kids just be kids, right? How about setting unrealistic goals? The opposite of that would be just to celebrate the small things, you guys. Not provoking our children to anger when our words and our life don't match. She yells at us to stop yelling. Like, how does that not provoke them to anger and stir up anger? Like, she's telling us we can't yell, but she's yelling. When you overprotect them, oh, helicopter, fear-based, overparenting, you're going to stir up anger in your children. It's so hard. You train them up and let them go, right? Let them try. Let them fail. It's not a direct reflection of you or your character when your children fail and make mistakes. We all do. That's how we're training them up, right? How about when we're not being a good listener? We don't slow down to listen to our kids. Talk about provoking to anger, stirring up anger in them. But the good thing is, what did we say? That we are growing kingdom relationships and God loves watching us grow, right? Thank God for that. And he has a plan. So I'm going to quickly give you four things that growing parents do. Number one, growing parents rescue their hearts. I believe we have that up there. Okay, Proverbs 22:15 says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child and the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Now I won't, I'm just going to kind of bypass the route of correction. We're not going to break that part of scripture down. I'll leave that to Benji. All the hard things Benji can talk about. You can talk to him about vaccination. You can talk to him about uh, women's rights and abortion. All the hot topics, spanking, not spank, all that. Okay, so just pretend because I'm just the guest and I want you guys to still like me. I'm not too far. I'm down in East La Jolla. We we affectionately call it. Some some might call it Santee. I mean, some might. I really like my Santee house, actually. God has been so good. Um, so foolishness. This is what God's plan tells us. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Listen, if you moms think your child is just so perfect on Instagram and all the time and no one can ever say anything wrong, and the child, oh, it's the teacher's fault, it's the coach's fault, it's the referee's fault. It wasn't my kid. It's my aunt's fault, it's my mother-in-law's fault. They're being so hard on them. Leave them alone. Leave them alone. It's not personal. This foolishness, you see the word of God is making it so clear. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And mm, the what of correction, well, whatever. The what correction is correction is going to drive it, drive it far from them. So when you tell your kids, hey, honey, come here. This is just part of being a human. I have it in my heart too. 
We're going to correct because we're going to drive that foolishness far away. And we're going to return to the word of God and remember, remember, mercy, remember, Phoenix, the blessing is attached to you. There's nothing wrong with you that you hit your brother. <laughs> Just kidding. Mercy wasn't that much of a hitter. I was the biter. I got kicked out of my dad's, you know, my parent, my dad, my parent was the pastor's, and um, I got kicked out of the nursery. I was the biter. It was the whole, you know, my, that foolishness has been just been driving out. I was a biter. I was sick of the suffering. I had a hard childhood, right? So there's a big difference between punishment versus consequences. Punishment says, I'm angry with you, and I'm going to make you pay. But consequences say, I love you, therefore I'm going to rescue you. That's a consequence. I love you. You can't always want to hit and throw a fit, and that's foolishness. People aren't going to want to be around you. I'm just teaching you life skills and people skills. My goal in life, I think the reason why I'm so intentional about parenting, besides the whole fear thing, was because I just wanted to actually like them. Not anyone else. I don't care. You might not like my kids. I'm okay with that. I'm the one who has to live with them. I want to like them. You might not. They might not be your cup of tea. That's totally fine. But they're mine because I spend a lot of time with them. You see, you will never bad attitude someone into a good attitude. Let me say that again. You will never bad attitude someone into a good attitude. I don't know if you've tried, but I've tried. You see, we discipline and move on. We discipline and we move on. We discipline and we move on. We rescue their heart and we tie these heartstrings. You see, it's all about their heart, rescuing their hearts protecting their hearts, shaping their hearts, guarding their hearts. I tell my kids all the time, I want you to have a tender heart. Because at the heart of a tender heart, at the center of a tender heart is a heart that is going to know the intimacy and the blessing of a relationship with Jesus. I want you to have a tender heart. You see, moms, where do you need to slow down? Where are you giving your best energies and you just need to slow down? down. Dads, where can you slow down? Where can you settle down? What have you made too important at the cost of your children? What have you made too important at the cost of your marriage? At the cost of maybe reaching out to mom and dad? I love that it said, hello, mom. I love you. Just like, hi, mom. The, the power of just calling our parents and saying, hi. What have we made too important in these kingdom relationships, and God says he loves to watch us grow. Growing parents, the number, number two, is they smile a lot. I love this so much. You can never be a better parent than a smiling parent. If you hear anything today, just know that. When you become a parent, if you are a parent, if you feel like you have messed up parenting, if you're so afraid to ever become a parent, you can never be a better parent than a smiling parent. On the most chaotic, desperate, difficult days, if you put that smile on your face, you see the joy of the Lord is your strength, but the joy of a parent is a child's strength. When your kids look at you, what do they see? Do they see a face that is present or a face that is distracted? Do they see a face that is full of approval or full of rejection? 
Do they look at you and see a, a face that is full of joy or full of stress? You see, we are the reflection of what it looks like to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. And we're wanting to teach them that that trust, tying those heartstrings, rescuing those hearts, they can trust us. And that when they look in our face and listen, life is really chaotic and stressful, right? Maybe just my life. Maybe just my life. And you know what? Kids, they feel that. They, they're very intuitive. They, they feel that. And there's this desire in a child to want to protect the parent. But that's not how God's word has designed it. It is for us to be the adults. We are the ones leading. We are the ones with authority. We are the ones that are in charge. It's not up for the child to obey so that stress can go away, to keep their mouths shut so that you can try to figure out what you're going to do with you know, your bills and your work and the boss and we're the, we're the parents. We're the ones leading. We have a plan. We're led by faith, not by fear. You see, kids are going to always remember our attitude. And if we're going to be smiling, this isn't just like the like smile, like fake it till you make it. Like, we're having a really good time. Our pet's heads are falling off. I mean, sometimes you do have to fake it till you make it, right? There's just like crazy stories. And if you're a parent, you understand how quickly chaos can be released. Like, I, I just cannot, you can, you could be at Disneyland and like smiling, like <gasps> pretending. I mean, Disneyland is like a recipe for chaos and having to fake it till you make it. It's fun too. You can have fun there too. But I have plenty of stories where we have had like everything go wrong. You guys know that gratitude is commanded in the scripture. If you want to be somebody who smiles, oh my gosh, there's so much more than a smiling spirit and a smiling soul than just a smiling face. Like you can actually be free. When God says, I came to give you life and life abundantly, how do you get there? I'm like, God, I said yes to you. I believe in your promises. But now all of a sudden we went from kidney failure to kidney transplant to move to San Diego to church plant. How did I ever get talked into that? That was my obedience to God, right? To then now mark his back in kidney rejection. So that's like double whammy. It's like kidney failure plus kidney rejection. It, like if I thought he was sick 10 years ago, my husband has been so horribly sick the last six months. Painfully sick. And yet... I can tell you that I really believe the word of God when he says, when God told me that he has given me abundant life. I am not telling you that every day feels full of joy and laughter and smiles, but I tell you that I am rooted in and I am found in and I am living on the word of God, that I trust him. Gratitude is a commandment in scripture. Gratitude is the fruit and the fertilizer of our faith. You see, it's really easy to get caught up and lost in like, what, God? We planted this church. Like, this wasn't, a second transplant wasn't supposed to ever be in our language. Kidney rejection was supposed to be back then, not now, in my present. Kidney rejection and transplant was the language 10 years ago. Now I have two kids that are older. And guess what? Both of them have type 1 diabetes as well. 
And that diagnosis happened somewhere in the church planting. When I was laying down my life to start sharing Jesus with people in San Diego, and kidney failure and kidney rejection is happening because of type 1 diabetes. So now my husband is sick, fighting for his life. And my kids are watching. And they're living the everyday wrestle and responsibility of the same disease that is affecting my husband's body. But I tell you, how am I making it through? How are we making it too? Because I really believe when the word of God says that gratitude is is commanded in the scripture. When people say, I want to know God's will for my life. I love pastoring people when they're like, I want to know God's will for my life. And you're like, in everything, give thanks. They're like, no. Like, I want to know, like, should I be a teacher or a mom or a real estate agent or a work for a tech company? Like, I want to know God's will for my life. You're like, it's pretty simple. In everything, give thanks. What's God's will for your life? In everything, give thanks. I'm going a little long, so I'm going to have to script. I'm going to have to bypass this really amazing part of scripture that I was so excited to talk about in Luke 17. Let me quickly, quickly tell you about it. They're like, you're fine, you're fine. When Jesus heals 10 men with leprosy. Okay, we'll go there real fast. I promise I'll be fast. Okay, so now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, okay, this is key, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. Okay, this is like more of a Hail Mary, like rabbi, are you one of those rabbis that heals? And when Jesus saw them, he says, go show yourselves to the priest. Now, you got to slow down sometimes when you read scripture because We just read that and go, okay, cool. Like, I thought Jesus was the healer, but I'm going to read the passage real fast. Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. Well, imagine then these 10 lepers are very disappointed because they'd heard about Jesus, how he was healing everyone he saw, and yet he sends them away. They're like expecting him to say, yeah, let me heal you. Be healed. He sends them away. And here's what's so key. In Luke 17, it says, And as they went, oh, like some of those versions say, and as they turned, obedience. As they turned, they were healed. The scales, the healing, it happened. It wasn't, it didn't happen when they were with the priest. It was as they turned, as they went. And so then one of them, okay, one of them in verse 15 When he saw that he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. I don't have time to get into that. I love that part, too. And Jesus says, well, wait a minute. We're not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? And uh, no one had returned to give him praise except for this foreigner. So um, he says, rise and go. Your faith has made you well, right? It's like we think, like, wait, was it his faith that made him well? No, all ten were healed. All nine stayed healed. But only one came back and thanked him. Now, leprosy was probably the worst disease. I told you my husband has been pretty sick. 
painfully sick, but I don't think there is a worse disease. We don't understand. We think leprosy was like the skin disease, you guys. It was a disease of the nervous system. It actually says, if you read about it, that they would lose all feeling, all sensation, and that um, rats would come and gnaw off their toes and their fingers because they were, they had the, their bodies were so sick they couldn't even feel pain. They couldn't even feel that, that rats were gnawing away their fingers and their toes. It was such a socially unacceptable disease. You had to be, you had to wear rags. Everywhere you went, you had to uh, walk around far away from everyone and you had to shout out, unclean, unclean. And you had to, um, you weren't allowed to, to tend to your hair because in case somebody was deaf and they couldn't hear you say unclean, they could visually see that you were unclean because you were in rags and your hair wasn't done. So, I mean, we're not just talking like, oh, a rash, skin disease. This is the worst disease that you can have. And all 10 of them were healed at the obedient command of going, turning, yet only one comes back. And I don't think there's anything wrong with these people. I mean, the celebration of the lepers, the way their life was set free, but I think many of us do the same thing where we're asking God for things in our life and yet we forget because the foolishness in our heart, what keeps you from thanking God for the blessings in your life? I love in Celtic Christianity, there's this tradition called the middle way prayer. The middle way prayer. There's not a better name for that in my mind because I think so much of us live our days so much more in the middle, so much more in the ordinary. Life is full of ordinary, mundane. It's not your Instagram highlight reel. And the middle way prayer is to take anything and to begin to thank God for that thing. And the idea is that that one thing, whether you take, let's say, uh, my kid's pumps beeping at me in the middle of the night. My phone I sound like the Unabomber half the time because I get alerts 24-7 for high blood sugars and low blood sugars. And there's three of them beeping at me, right? And instead of this beeping irritating me or making my skin crawl, I can apply the middle way prayer and say, I'm thankful for this beep. It's 2 a.m. now. It's 4 a.m. now. It's 5 a.m. It's okay. It's 1 a.m. I'm thankful for this beep. I'm thankful for technology that alerts me. I'm thankful for CGMs. I'm thankful for juice boxes. I'm thankful for juice that can keep my kids healthy and alive. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. And you know what? It's like that commandment that says to renew our mind, that the transforming of our mind, whatever we think on will grow. So if we think on, oh my gosh, my kids have type 1 diabetes. I'm such the victim. Oh, my kids have type 1 diabetes. I'm such the villain. How about that when you see villain mom? Because you're like, you have no idea. You think it's hard to send your kids off to camp or, you know, this or that school? You know, nobody, I don't want to be the victim. I don't want to be the villain either. I want to be close and intimate with Jesus when he says, in everything, give thanks. And then I become that smiling parent, right? Right? Then I become that smiling mom that invites my kids into a relationship, 
invites my husband into a relationship, invites the people around me into a relationship saying, let's follow Jesus because his plans and his ways are so much better than I can imagine. Are they hard? Yeah, it's actually in his word as well that all of us are going to face trials. Guess what? When your kids face trials, don't freak out. Don't overparent. Don't underparent. Let them know, like, yes, this trial is what will show you who God is in everything. When James says, consider it pure joy when you face times of trials, many trials, it doesn't mean feel joy. We feel joy by the middle way prayer. We feel joy by being thankful and stopping and giving 10. That's just a quick practice of mine. I'm like, stop and give 10. Stop and give 10. I have to do it. The other day I had to do it at work. I was like, okay. Stop and give 10. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for, how am I thankful for my job today? It was really hard. And you got to be really specific if you're going to train your mind and train your heart to get to this place where you understand the blessings of God. The blessings of God. Stop and give thanks and everything give thanks. God loves watching us grow. Growing parents, number three, honor their child. You see, there is a cost to exasperating our children. Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged, lest they lose heart. This very idea of training them up is, is um, in the Greek word, it's to nourish them. It's very gentle and it's very friendly. Honor your children. It's, our culture tells us that we're just supposed to be overwhelmed moms, Tired, not sleeping, can't enjoy your children until they're older. Our culture tells us expect them to rebel, expect it to be hard. We cannot make that our plan. Don't make culture your plan. Make the word of God your plan. Don't let culture, you know, it's like husband bashing was such a thing, right? It becomes such a thing with some friends. You have to have a conviction about your speech in kingdom relationships. I'm not going to bash my, my husband. Guess what? Parents have a conviction about how you honor your children. Children bashing is just so common. I was at a baby shower a couple months ago, and it would, had been going longer and longer, and it was a co-ed baby shower, and I just realized, oh, man, I've been here for a while, and I'm ready to go home. And, and one of my friends said, why are you leaving so early? The party's still going. And I remember thinking, well, I want to go spend time with my kids but I didn't want to say it. I felt embarrassed because culture would say that's pretty not cool. Or like I'm being like proud. I'm being prideful because I'm saying, and I just spoke it. I said, you know what? I actually, I want to go spend time with my kids. My friends were like, what? Who likes their kids? Of course you do. I'm trying to stay here, drink another mimosa before I, I don't want to go home. Honor your children. Honor your parents. Honor your spouse. Honor your boss. Authority. Honor. Don't follow what the culture and world tells us to do. God's plan is so much better. So rich and full of abundant life. So rich and full of peace. That will surpass all understanding. The doctors are just now saying that Mark might be healthy enough for a second transplant. In that same breath is hope, and in that same breath of moment, it feels like trauma. But we are standing on the word of God. 
His plans and his ways are so much higher. So let's bow our heads today, and I hope that we can just send, we can just end today. I know I've gone long. It's been a while since I've preached. I'm sorry. I love this subject of parenting. I love the subject of growth. I'm trying so hard to, more than anything, grow closer to God. That my kids would also want to, as they see that I have trusted Jesus, that they would go, I can trust him too. When I don't know what tomorrow looks like, when I don't know what six months from now looks like, when my heart is broken or overwhelmed, when I'm, life around me feels chaotic, that you can trust the word of God, even as simple as this child-parent relationship. Get into the word of God. If there's one thing that you hear me say today, it is to slow down. Let your heart get settled in the promises of God and in his presence. Have an intimate relationship with him. You have incredible pastors, but they will not ever be able to lead you to a place of intimacy with God. The way that spending time makes me emotional. That you could stand on his promises. In all things, through diagnoses, through resigning from a church, <laughs> through uncertainty, you can trust the word of God. He's so trustworthy. And parents today, be encouraged that you can teach your kids. You can be the direct reflection to them of a trustworthy father. And if you don't know what that looks like because you haven't, uh, you weren't raised with that, or maybe you don't feel like you're a very gentle or friendly person, the Holy Spirit will do that in your heart. Time with him will do that. Apologize to your kids, apologize to your husband, or maybe you need to apologize to mom or dad or a sibling or a boss or a coworker or a roommate. Oh my gosh, you guys have lots of these people in this room probably have roommates. Gosh, that's a complicated relationship. You can grow healthy, healthy relationships because God loves watching us grow. Let's close our eyes and I'm just gonna say a prayer of blessing. Lord, thank you for this time. That we got to open up your word. And God, you know I could talk about your promises for forever and ever because I truly believe them. And I've seen you do miracles in my life. I have seen you renew and restore and redeem relationships. And God, would you, Holy Spirit, today in this room, encourage every soul, Lord, that whatever they have made too big of a priority over spending time with you, God, with the one thing we walk away with, yeah, I hope we become better parents today. I hope we become better brothers and sisters today or sons or daughters today. But God, more than anything, I hope we run closer to you. I hope we slow down and surrender in our trust and our lives to you. So God, bless each person today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. All right, guys, thank you for... Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. 
This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. <laughs>